wait, you, you want me to be like funny haha or funny what I do with David Tennant and Nathan Fillion for two hours and a bottle of baby oil? Oh, oh, okay. Um, hi, this is Julian Ayers from Wicked Dead Scripted, and here comes Sci Fi Saturday Night. Virtual Marshmallow Factory, deep on sub-level 14 of Area 51. Tonight, we're proud to present an all-female rendition of The Vampire's Addiction, a short narrative poem about a lonely Estonian child longing for the days of her Aunt Vladina, adapted by Nora Ephron, featuring the vocal talents of Margot Kidder, Sigourney Weaver, and once again, the beguiling yet waterlogged Esther Williams. Welcome to TalkCast 292, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying a twitching eye, which I'm blaming on Bill Gates, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast is some of us coming in now, some of us coming in later. Who the hell knows at this point? In the Revere Times Vortex, our technical anarchist, for those of us uninformed peasants, uh, which means the rest of the known universe. If there's a button worth pressing, she's already done it multiple times. Our own girl genius, Kriana. Yes, somehow I'm always discovering new ones. I'm here with our resident brown coat who demanded entrance. A resident brown coat we have? Yes. He's small and fuzzy. Ah, and aims to misbehave. He's doing that right now. Mel! <laughs> From the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Industrial Trailer parking lot, a new and improved grafted and cloned vegetable market, this week featuring kale cucumbers. That's right, kids. It's kale cucumbers, the newfangled hip snack by Monsanto. Welcome, the Zombrarian. Actually, I learned just this week, cucumbers are not vegetables. They're berries. You're welcome, world. You're welcome. From a galaxy further and further away, as time dilation insists it must be, our Lady of the Lakes, Sir Sarah Lady Knight, is spending the week in New York City. There must be something going I on. I hear there. they have bad salsa there. <laughs> Why did you go right for the commercial on that? I don't know. Uh, me either. Because Sir Sarah's not here, so we can talk about things like the pets.com dog, and she doesn't make fun of us. <laughs> or not know what it is, but that's a whole other story. What goes up must come down. So next week, Sir Sarah, Lady Knight, will be telling us about. Everybody she met at Boston Com at, at at New York Comic Con that she couldn't quite book for the show, and we will have to make her prove it. So there will be evidently pictures with and arrows and everything. And at some point, uh, according to the McDonald's drive-in uh, microphone that that went onto the Wi-Fi there, uh, 
Awake by Java will be joining us when he gets home, whenever that may be. So we'll be looking forward to that, if we must. Our guest this week is Madeline Holly Rosing, R-O-S-I-N-G, Rosing? Please don't Rosing. It's right. Rosing. It's Rosing. never right. I have never gotten a name. Please don't be insulted. But in, in 292 episodes of doing this, I haven't even gotten Smith right. So, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. If you're not familiar with her, you're under a rock somewhere because Boston Metaphysical Society is one of the coolest web comics and, and, and graphic novels around. And I, we, we met at Boston, and I couldn't be more pleased to have you on the show. Thank you very much. And we will be talking in the second half of the show about Boston Metaphysical Society, uh, her new Kickstarter, uh, what she had for breakfast. But first, the news. How, how did she get to talking in the middle wait, of the night? Wait, 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 what? Oh, okay. She's a crazy woman. She's a crazy woman, but we love her to death. So what's going on this week? Stuff. Also Stuff. things I hear. Stuff and things. I noticed you didn't ask me what I had for breakfast. Okay. It's toast. Good. I had blueberry cereal. I, wonder I thought you were saying something else, and I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you know how Sarah's in New York this weekend? Yes, I do, actually. I think I you just... You know what Sarah should go do in New York this weekend? Well, I've got a couple of ideas, but what were you thinking? I'm thinking that she should go see a play. A play? A play. Why would she go see a play? Why Why would, you know, somebody who's going to be at, Boston, at New York Comic Con, why do I keep calling it that, uh, want to see a play? Why, what would that have to do with that? Because there is not just one, not just two, but a trilogy of sci-fi plays being put on at the gym at Judson this weekend October 13th, ooh, what I was reading said that it was um, only October 13th through 16th. This says it's going on till November 14th, so everyone has time to go see it. Very That's nice. exciting. It's called the Honeycomb Trilogy. Um, I think I can say this without spoilers. Aliens invade the United States. What not, just, not just any aliens, giant insects. Giant insect aliens. Um, and what's really cool about that, what I thought was really cool about these plays is um, they go forwards in time, but they go backwards in time in their inspiration. So the first one, which is called Advance Man, is a kind of um, Tennessee Williams slash. Eugene O'Neill inspired what's called a living room play, and it all takes place in one room in this family's house as, um, you know, bugs are invading. Um, and then Blast Radius is inspired by Shakespearean drama. And finally, Sovereign, which is the last of the three, is inspired by Greek drama. So I thought that was cool that it goes back 
backwards and forwards all at once. So there's time travel too. Yay. And it's uh, written and directed by Mac Rogers. Uh, and we're at this point thinking of a way to con him into coming onto the show. So we're going to do that. Yep. And um, he, I found out about um, this production because American Theater has a really wonderful article he wrote about how to bring sci-fi to the stage. Um, and it's, I, it's hard to describe <laughs> the it's article. It's really hard to describe the article, but it's like seven things that why science fiction should be on the stage. Should be on the stage, and it's utterly convincing. It's 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 beautifully it's a beautifully crafted article, and the last two points I think are the most wonderful. Uh, point number two is don't apologize that it's science fiction, and point number one is don't apologize that it's a play. And I mean, you know, because it's not a short story or it's not a movie or it's not a book, it's a play and it's science fiction. Get over it; it's cool. Yep. Science fiction and. <laughs> The two things he says you, you need to be able to say without wincing is science fiction belongs in theater and theater matters. And he's, he's got it. He's, he's actually absolutely correct. And it's wonderful. Uh, I'm really looking forward to... Uh, Trying to have him on. Yeah, because yeah. that would be incredibly cool. And Booking Monkey, you are on notice. And seriously, if you are in New York City, go see it. Because... I need a full report because I am not in New York City. Also, sidebar, speaking of New York Comic Con. Yes. No one won my brother a date with <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> not enough votes for your brother to have his date with Daryl. He must be crestfallen. Well, not enough entries because it wasn't a vote thing. It was it people was were supposed to put in entries the with the name Zombrarian's brother. And apparently no one did except me. Well, I'm sorry, Zombrarian's brother. Uh, you've missed your date with greatness. And frankly, that would have been worth having on the show as well. <laughs> Just saying. So Zombrarian and I both found different stories about exactly the same thing. Oh, we did. Look at that. Like that never happens. I know. Uh, but there are some really, really cool pictures and semi-spoilers. Oh, I, I I got one with an actual video in it. Nice. The so Sherlock, we're going to use mine. Oh. We use whichever one. Use both of them, damn it. Mm -hmm. The Sherlock Christmas special trailer shows Benedict Cumberbatch in the 1800s, and the pictures are just amazingly cool. Actually, mine has a trailer, too. Yeah, but did you watch it? I did. Well, then you know why I was laughing before when you were like, "Where are you?" Oh, going? oh, that's why you were laughing. Yes, that's okay. why I was laughing. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, where the damn at? <laughs> the it the person in my article didn't seem to care for the trailer and blah 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 blah. I think the pictures look lovely. I think I, I could listen to Mr. Gumberbatch read the, the phone book, and it would be fun. 
so I'm looking forward to it. I don't give a damn what the critics say at this point. I will watch it, and that will be that. I think it's actually a very smart move for the Sherlock franchise because um, they're kind of running out of source material to modernize. And I think that the last season got a little bit weighted down. Pedantic? I think it got weighted down with the whole problem of he pretended to die and left. It got so draggy with, oh, well, we're going to explain how that happened. Oh, no, we're not. We Mm. fooled you. And it... Like, that was a good half hour that I wanted back. And also the whole, John's getting married, Sherlock has feelings, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and I was like, this is not working, you guys. Um, so I'm glad that they're, they've found a way to kind of retcon the series without retconning the series, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does make sense. And also, who doesn't want to see them running around Victorian London with the Deerstalker hat and Martin Freeman in a fake mustache, or possibly a real one, but even if it's real, it looks fake. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. I don't, think the, I don't think any mustache on that man would look anything but fake. But I mean, still, you know, the, the Doctor Who Christmas specials, I've always enjoyed. Yep. Do you so, see I mean, good Christmas specials? Yeah, it's just wonderful. So, here's something I found out rather annoying. Uh, at, at multiple levels. I mean, we've all kind of bought into the Flash TV series, right? We have. Central City is the fun city. So I saw something about a Flash movie today. (gasps) And I had that same reaction to it. Until people started to talk about how, you know, uh, Warner Brothers is not going to be like Marvel. Therefore, the Flash movie will have no connection with the Flash TV series. What? No. None. In fact, it, it will have a different person playing the Flash. Not okay, guys. It gets dumber. Okay. <sighs> Seth Graham Smith. Who's that? Is, I will explain. Okay. Is going to direct it. Now, if you ever saw the Johnny Depp Dark Shadows movie, that was exactly, that was written by Seth Graham Smith. Or if you ever saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That was a gem. (laughs) No, no, like legit, we tried to watch that on one of our bad movie nights and... Couldn't There's do not it. enough alcohol in the world. Couldn't do it. Absolutely couldn't. Nope. He wrote that one, too. And this, the not Flash, the Flash movie about not the TV Flash with somebody 
playing the Flash, who's not the TV Flash, will be his first outing as a feature film director. What the hell are they thinking? And they've got a super successful TV series. Why, if they really don't want to have their movies and TV series overlap, why do a Flash movie at all? Oh, because they hate everything. I mean, shadows and... We need to stop for just a minute and introduce uh, the, the... we don't need to introduce him. People know who he is. I will, as a as a as a form of introduction, I will let you all in on the fact that I did not win the the homecoming court. Oh, was it homecoming tonight? Sorry, John. No, no, it's homecoming on is on Friday, but they do a teacher court, and I didn't win. <laughs> Sorry, Java. It's okay. I've been, I've gotten used to disappointment. We all think you're pretty. My dress just wasn't up to snuff. I'm sorry. So can I finish my joke now? Once yeah, again. All right. So I'm thinking about about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I'm thinking about Dark Shadows and how it was supposed to be campy but not hilarious and he tried to make it hilarious and problems happened. And I'm wondering if this is not actually a movie about a superhero who can run very fast, but a guy in a trench coat who stops crimes hmm. by flashing people. No, it was <laughs> evident. You guys didn't seem to no, catch no, the that, end. No, no, no. We, we, we got it. <laughs> yeah. Getting that joke wasn't the issue. I think it's a slow burn. It yeah. is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a thinker. Can can I say, you've already talked about the Sherlock Victorian special. Sure, yeah. go ahead, jump into it. I I read I read about it just about twenty five minutes ago. Okay. And I was so excited. Okay, I won't fight you. I was I was so excited that I I don't I don't even I don't think that I've even I've even fully realized it yet. Oh, okay. Here, mute yourself. And go watch the video because I'm not going to watch the video. Long. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. I'm going to wait. You want to do it? I Jove, don't. Want... Go and do it. I don't do spoilers. I There's don't. no spoilers. There's little flashes of carriages and people and Martin Freeman with a mustache. There, spoiler. Ha. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll save it for later. I just wanted to say that I'm very excited about it and it's the best. Yeah, thing. me too. I, I mean, I really think you know. The whole Let's go backwards to concept. things we're happy about. Yeah, we can. Okay. That, uh, I had to because the Flash movie makes me really, really angry. Yep. Especially because uh, the Flash season premiere was last night and I haven't watched it yet. And knowing that that is coming makes me sad before I sit down to watch the Flash, Flash premiere. Let, let me just say one non-spoilery thing about uh, the... Uh, First episode of season two of Flash, you'll like it. I'm Good. sure I will. I'm sure I will. I've been I've been loving Gotham. So oh far. yeah, the first episode. We've only seen the first episode of Gotham so far, or yeah. maybe the first two. It's, anyway, Alfred has Alfred and Bruce have come into their own this season. I feel like. Well, I mean, we'll see, right? Like it could be, but at the same time, 
this is not a show about the the origins of Bruce of uh, Batman. This is this is Gotham, and I think that what we're seeing because every episode is being um, pre-titled uh, Rise of the Villains. Yeah, this whole season. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Okay, we yeah. don't have to talk about. So, Mike, my, my, my question to I you is: uh, I didn't give it a chance last season. What Gotham? Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. What? So, no, I haven't don't, watched. Don't, I haven't watched don't. a single episode of it. Dome, you have when to watch Gotham. You have to watch Gotham. You There's, do, because when Java and I agree on something, you know that it's. Uh, I had to throw in my two cents here and say Gotham is awesome. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't even. I can't even comprehend that you have. Java it. literally cannot even. For the record, literally cannot even. All right, so Literally. so far this season, I'm super excited about Alfred. I'm super excited about Mr. Nigma. I'm super excited about um, Alfred making jokes about how much fertilizer you need to blow something up. Like, Gotham has hit a stride of being simultaneously hilarious, like intentionally hilarious, and really dark, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic writers paired with some wonderful characterizations by the actors. I mean, Nigma just. Oh, and Harvey's new job is amazing. It's perfect. Well, I don't know if it's canon or not, but I like it. Anyway, I like it. Um, we can discuss it. We can't discuss it because you ha- are not caught up. Does he? Harvey. <laughs> So man is a poet and a philosopher and belongs behind a bar. Nigma and the Joker and um, cat woman slash girl. I mean, all of these characters are just so well-written, well-directed and well-acted. And I will point out to you, Java, that last season you said several times that Selena bugged you and don't you love her now? Um, the end of the season was really good. Yeah. And, and I think that it was the, it was the exchange between, um, Bruce and Selena when they were on their mission. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yep. That really cemented it for me that she was a believable, uh, a believable precursor to that character and not the character from the, you know, horrible well i mean i guess how it depends on how you look at it um but the um horrible old batman movies uh with what's her name but um like the real Which, what's her name the real somehow that that very young actress has got a really good grasp on how to portray to use the D term a chaotic neutral character to the hilt well, and and the thing is, here's the problem. Here's what I'm really I'm starting to get very worried about. We're getting some really great television, and we're getting some pretty good movies out of this whole superhero swing. Yeah, but it's are. it's gonna it's gonna start to end. Yeah, it's already starting to end. You can see it because these. Because the really good writers and the good teams that are doing a good job of taking stories and adapting them for new media are starting to 
move on. And I'm really hopeful that Gotham has another two seasons in them after this one, two or three. I think I think they do. They've but got I, at least one, probably two. But I am a little nervous. As I said before, I've only seen, I think, one or two of the new episodes. But something happened that made me turn to Kriana and say, wow, they're speeding this timeline up. Yes, they are. A lot. Um, um, and that makes me nervous about their ideas about how long the show is going to last. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Pretty much. And, and you know, it's going to rise and it's going to fall. It's going to ebb. It's going to flow because that's what it does. And we're, we're really in a, a, a smorgasbord of incredibly cool stuff right now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to dilute out after a while. Kinda yeah, I think to. The Flash might only have this season left. To be honest, like it's still going to be like it's amazing that you'll know that the end of the flash is coming when they go dark. Yeah, that's when it's going to be the end, because what's going to happen is the the fun kid like flash who is so positive and hopeful is going to get hurt or something bad is going to happen enough. Somebody will get fridged angry and that's when the series is going to jump the shark. Either and that or they'll end up on the farm for an entire season. Yeah. Don't even get <laughs> <Yeah>. me started. <laughs> it could have been a good concept and it, it just could have been a great concept for two episodes. She's no. in the barn. Everyone knows she's in the barn. Stop I, looking for her. And I, I can't tell you how sick I am to walk in my house every night and have that damn show still on. Hey, someone hey. in this house is shotgunning five seasons. Hey, but I told you, I told you last season, I said there was that one episode and I was like, Dome, I know you don't like Walking Dead, but you have to watch this one. And you liked it, didn't you? That one episode, yes. That one episode. Oh, one episode to... since the middle of season two. Uh, I don't know. The last season of Walking Dead was okay. The, the problem is, and I haven't watched it. I've got the first, first episode of Fear the Walking Dead. On, I just, it's over. Zombies are over. They're yeah, over me. I'm, I'm done with zombies. Walking and, you know, Dead was at the end of zombies anyway, and it's trying to milk it too hard. It needed to be short, shorter than it's been. I don't know if it needed to be shorter as much as it needed to be something more than what it is right now. Well, that's what I'm saying. It needed the story that they're telling needed to be compressed down into fewer episodes. And they need to be telling more story. It's it's, but the problem is that it's a money maker. It's yeah, a sure as hell is. Yeah, because they they've got it. They've got an audience hooked to isn't the you know isn't genre like this is not once once a story gets mainstream, it stops being about the story and starts being about the audience, and so you can see that happening to everything. Yeah, the Walking Dead has become great anatomy and, with blood with more blood. Well. No, yeah. not quite. There's I mean, some good gore on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> not gonna lie. Oh, good. And a musical episode. I'm waiting for the musical episode. The musical episode of The Walking Dead will be jumping the shark, jumping the entire Atlantic. Although, it would be funnier than hell. Could you imagine that one? That would be good. I might like that. I can hmm. see it. Yeah, pretty much we can. Pretty much we can. So... So. When we were at Boston this year, uh, 
as, as I have a tendency to do when I'm not exhausted and falling asleep at the booth, uh, I kind of walk around, see who the people are who were there. And um, Madeline, I, th I think we've talked a couple of times over the years. I think so, too, because I was at uh, Boston Comic Con two years ago. And I think I said to you two years ago, we need to get you on the show. And somehow it never happened. And when I saw you this year, I went, this is a really good web series I've been into for a while. We need to get you on the show. <coughs> so it worked out. And, and, and finally, finally we have. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, Boston Metaphysical Society began as a webcomic, April Fools, 2013, the story of an ex-Pinkerton detective and his spirit photographer partner battling supernatural forces in the 1800s. The comic has won a bunch of awards. The Geeky Award was a nominee for Best Comic Graphic Novel for the 2014 Geek Geeky Awards, uh, nominated for an Airship Award. Uh, Steampunk Chronicle Reader's Choice Award. So I, I guess people really like this because I know I do. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad people enjoy it. I know the whole team has worked very, very hard on it. Where, where did this come from for you? Uh, I have a uh, film and TV background. And while I was at uh, UCLA Film School, I have an, I have an MFA in screenwriting. I originally wrote Boston Metaphysical as a TV pilot. And uh, though it was shopped around and people said lots of nice things about it, uh, it was expensive to make. So it was suggested that I adapt it into a comic or a graphic novel. So I went back to school, learned how to do that, uh, obviously adapted it into a six-issue miniseries. Um, in the process, though, I discovered I really love writing comics, so uh, so here I am. <laughs> now I'm stuck, but it's a good stuck. I was going to say, it's not a bad place to be stuck right now. Oh, no, no. I really love the whole comics community and the comic world, and and being at the cons has just you know opened up a whole new world for me, so I'm, I've really enjoyed it. So when you took this from the idea of let's do a TV pilot out of this and, and brought it back down to a comic. Uh, how did you assemble what is an amazing crew, by the way, to put this together? Uh, I've been very fortunate um, in that all the, the team members I met through mutual friends and or mentors. I, I think one of the reasons why the comic is as good as it is is number one, I had very good mentors. Um, uh, Dave Elliott from uh, A1 Atomica Press. Uh, I met him through a mutual friend, and he introduced me to my colorist, uh, Gloria Colley from Stellar Labs. Uh, Emily, uh, my artist, I met her through a, a friend who I met at my sequential art class. Uh, nice. Wow. <laughs> and... Uh, Troy Pateri, I met through Christina Strain. Um, you may know her. She was a colorist at Marvel for seven years. She does freelance, but she's also the writer of um, Fox Sister, which is an incredible web series, uh, also gone to print. And uh, she was also, I, not only was she a friend, but she was also a mentor. So I was very fortunate in that 
you know, not only being mentored by these people, but they found me team team members basically who were just exceptional. So how does the process work for you? I mean, norm normally, I don't know that there's a normal when it comes to web comics, when it comes to independent comics. I think at this point it's more of one person has an idea and either does it all themselves or gathers a team and they all work together and and we've had so many different ways of of processing from thought to page how does it work for you guys uh well yeah you're absolutely right it's different for everyone uh this series was written before i met emily uh, obviously and and i'd even had it mapped out everything so essentially, I hand the script to Emily, and she executes it. Uh, and then she hands in pages, usually about three pages a week when we're when we're in our groove and she has time because everyone works freelance usually. So every everybody's time has to be scheduled. And so I'll give her notes on them, and then she'll do them. And then once I approve them, they go to my colorist, and the same thing they. They, they work off the script, and and then it's returned to me, and if any notes that needs to be done, any changes, they make the edits, and and then I approve everything. I'm, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer here. You are so, the glue. Yeah, so, <laughs> so everything, you know, if there's anything wrong with it, it's my fault. <laughs> but if anything's is right, it's, it's everybody's, you know, everybody shares in the right uh, when it goes well. But yeah, the the buck stops here. And and I think, quite honestly, that's how that's what makes it work as well as it does, is that there's one person there who is just no, yes, this needs to work, this is working. One person needs to make that that final decision. And uh, the story, how how did the stories come about? I mean, because you. You said you mapped this out a while back. Yeah, uh, I mapped it when I was still in school. It was kind of, um, well, I've always loved science fiction, and I love history. And when I originally developed the TV pilot, it was a straight period piece detective pilot. And a friend of mine in my class uh, suggested that I turn it into steampunk. Uh, set it in a steampunk world. Mm -hmm. Now, I had heard of steampunk, uh, but I wasn't that familiar with it, so I did research and discovered that he was absolutely right. So I redeveloped it in class and and gave it a kind of steampunkish twist. Uh, I mean, this is this is a character-driven piece where the it's not gadget-heavy, as, as you know. Right. Um, I mean, the gadgets are just an organic part of the world, so they don't take over their lives. Um, it's, you know, for me, a good story is about people and their relationships. And um, so, you know, I wanted to keep the gadgetry at a minimum, but yet it did have to fit into, you know, organically into the steampunk world. Um, and then... Um, I'm, I had to make some changes, of course, from the pilot to adapt it into a six-issue miniseries, uh, but that that worked out well. I mean, in the original pilot, you didn't know 
about Beth, otherwise known as Bell Edison, Tesla, and Houdini. They came in, <laughs> yeah, they came in much, much later. They were a much more secretive group, but it became apparent that for it to work as a comic, I really needed to have those guys up front. So, I mean, there was, there was a number of structural changes made um, as I developed it into a comic. How far along were you in that original concept? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for two and a half years now? Yes. God, that's, that's wonderful and amazing. Uh, how far, yeah, and you're in chapter five right now, about to begin chapter six. It's another story. We'll talk about that in a minute. How, how many chapters did you come to these people with and go, here's where I'm going? Uh, I, I told Emmy, I said, this is a six issue miniseries and she said, okay. <laughs> so you knew right from the beginning, uh, oh, beginning, yeah. middle and end. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is, um, no, this is, this is, was structured specifically. So it would end at chapter six. Um, but leave it open ended enough for other things, um, to happen. Uh, the, the six issues were structured, so each issue would have a case that they would follow, so that at least the reader would have some sense of, you know, uh, something's been accomplished by the end of that particular issue. But there's a, the overall arcing big bad, which you know is the shifter, and that doesn't get resolved until issue six. So think of it as a TV miniseries. There you go. We can do that. Um, and, you know, uh, not knowing that that's what the original genesis for this was, uh, thinking back on, on the story to this point, yeah, that, that could have worked really, really well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is completely mapped out. And as you said, we're, you know, actually, chapter six is essentially done. Uh, but that's what the Kickstarter is about. So... How did you, not being from Boston, set this in Boston? Well, being the story being set in Boston was a story decision. Uh, I wanted to set it in an American. This is an American story, obviously, uh, and I wanted to set it in American in an American city that, when you spoke it aloud, resonated uh, history. Uh, culture and almost a mythology to it, and Boston fit that and bill. Really bad drivers. <laughs> <laughs> just the worst just, drivers just in the saying. entire country. Right here. In the entire country. Right here. Right here. <laughs> in the entire country, um, and New York and Chicago have kind of been done to death. So. And I like the intimacy of Boston. I mean, I've been to Boston a number of times. That's a really nice way of saying it's really small. <laughs> like that's that's a, that's really cute. Like Boston Population is tiny. Bo yeah. No, like Boston proper is like two square miles. It's really tiny. Yeah, but there is a there is there is an intimacy to it that you that serves the story well. Yeah, especially in in the time period you've set it in. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you've done is incorporated uh, four Kickstarters, I think, into the process of the, uh, the website and the graphic novels. 
Why have you done that? Um, well, for monetary reasons, um, we have, been, <laughs> uh, we have been like a lot of independent creators. Uh, we are self-funded and, uh, we needed a little help to, to get these issues out more quickly. And Kickstarter was the perfect avenue to be able to do that, to, to help us along, you know, with our own money to get things out more quickly. And uh, it, it's worked. It's worked very well. It has worked very well for you, and not so well for others. What do you think the difference is? Uh, in part, it has to do with the preparation. Uh, you really need to have uh, enough backers to fund your project to up to about twenty-five to thirty-five percent before you even start. And you really need to have them on an email list. So when you're ready to go, you shoot that email list. They're there. You know, they're, they're on board. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate in that we have a pretty good retention rate uh, for each. You know, we, we keep a number of the backers for, for each one. But we don't keep all of them, of course. And so it, at least we have a good base to start with. So... Uh, we can search for other backers, you know, as we, as the campaign goes along. Um, Cause like, I think right now we're a little, little over 30% funded and you we are, yeah. And we launched at noon today. So, I mean, that, that's my, my core group there. That's, that's coming on board and thank you very much to them. They're all awesome. Um, but you need to be able to do that in order to one stay on the first page of the most popular page for the comics. So when people come say over the weekend, when they have time or in the evening, when they're just, you know, goofing around and, um, you know, no one looks past the first page of the most popular page. It's like when you do a Google search, you know, you don't look at the second page after a search. I mean, you very rarely do. So that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, you need to have that, consistency going throughout the whole campaign so any newcomers will will see you and go like oh what's this about and they'll come check you out so it's an internal algorithm that kickstarter has so i mean you, you need to kind of map things out ahead of time so you can try to keep your it doesn't always work but um as best you can to keep consistent backers uh coming on throughout the campaign. So while you're do doing this comic, you're also doing a bunch of other things. You've written a bunch of short stories, novels, the whole routine. Um, so you're balancing a bunch of creative processes at the same time. Yeah, writers tend to do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> how we stay sane. So what else are you doing right now? What else is going on? Well, this, um, uh, well, the comic has pretty much taken over my life. Um, just maintaining it as a business. I do about 12 cons a year. So I'm on the road quite a bit and dealing with just mundane business things, inventory, taxes, hotels, con fees, everything in between. Um, but what I finally accomplished this year was I 
finished uh, enough of the novellas to pull them together into an anthology, uh, which is called Prelude. It's there are seven stories. There's about three novellas and some novelettes and some small short stories, all based in the Boston metaphysical universe. Uh, they are all prequels, so there's no um, spoilers to the comic storyline. They tend to um, they complement each other. And I also wrote the uh, the Kickstarter book, uh, which came out I guess about two months ago now. Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, sure. What was what was the impetus behind that book? Well, after my first Kickstarter failed, and uh, we looked at it. And when I say we, I, I'm talking about my husband and I. We 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 discussed these things, and uh, we re-strategized uh, the first Kickstarter. I realized what I had done wrong, which were numerous things, and relaunched three months, a little less than three months later, and we were fully funded in under 48 hours. Um, and then the third Kickstarter, uh, that took longer because we were looking for more money, but we were 109% funded. But during this whole process, I started seeing a lot of really, really wonderful projects do the crash and burn. And the problem was they just, they weren't prepared. So uh, I, I've been teaching for a long time in various and sundry fashions at different jobs. And so I started teaching a class, uh, Kickstarter for the Independent Creator at Pulp Fiction Books and Comics in Culver City. And I started doing that in January. And we had classes about once a month. And then from that class, I developed the book. And so it's an expanded version of the class in a handy Kindle or paper version format that you can carry around. So, the, like so. Did go ahead. Else, I thought somebody else had jumped in there for a minute. Uh, so the book is part of the class you teach. Well, it, was, they, they it was it was um, the class begat the book. Gotcha. It's uh, you can do one or the other or both. Um, I've had people take the class and buy the book, and I have some people who live you know far away from me who obviously just who just get the book. And um, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to say that I know at least two people who have so far launched. Who have either who have taken my class and they're they've both been successful. So, yay! <laughs> I'm so happy <laughs> for them. Yay! <laughs> so if it's hard, it's very hard. It's very difficult. It's much more difficult than anybody actually imagines when they start the process. If there's one piece of advice that you could give somebody who says, "I've got a project," what's the one thing I really need to know about Kickstarter to do it? Make sure you do prototypes of all the packages you're going to mail, weigh them, and figure out what the, what the cost of the postage is going to be for both domestic and international. That way you can put in the correct numbers for postage, particularly for international, that people need to pay. Uh, I have seen many creators... Uh, 
get into a lot of trouble because they didn't ask enough money for international postage and then they had to pay for it themselves. And that can kill you in the end. That can absolutely kill you because, uh, and you want to keep your packages under four pounds uh, for international packages. Once it goes over four pounds, the cost literally quadruples. And I am not kidding. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because four pounds yeah. is, a, is a customs cutoff in a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize that. And uh, I remember one, one reviewer of the book, uh, he, he laughed. He said he was, you know, running through the table of contents. And he saw there was three pages just devoted to postage. And he was going like, what? What can you say about postage? And then he read it and went like, oh, my God. <laughs> what? You know, it can kill you. I mean, it can just wipe out your funding. So you really need to be careful about the postage. Before we let you go, mm -hmm. and unfortunately we have to very shortly, I yeah. want to talk just a little bit about some of the characters in the webcomic and the books and how you chose, how you chose the secret organization of scientists. Oh, Bell, Edison, Tesla, and Houdini? Beth, yes. Beth. Uh, they all lived at the same time, uh, number one. Um, uh, Tesla and Edison and Bell all knew each other in real life. I don't believe they knew Houdini. Maybe they saw him, you know, at a theater at the time. Um, I chose Houdini because, though he's not a scientist, he brings a more uh, human quality to the group. He's, the rest he's of them were not very nice people. I bet yeah, that's. yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, kind of think of him as like the Doctor McCoy in the group. You know, <laughs> he, he takes a more humanistic viewpoint to things, and he gets a a broader viewpoint that he brings because he is the one who brings Samuel into the fold. Because he realizes they need, they need you know a different point of view to help them solve the problem of the shifter. And they're reluctant at first, but then realize, of course, that yeah, they need him and his team, of course, of Samuel and of uh, Caitlin and Granville. And Granville Woods, by the way, did exist is a real human being. <laughs> Um, the African-American scientists did live at the same time period as these other gentlemen and, in fact, sold some of his patents to Bell. That's how he made his living. And there's a fun story about him. Uh, he sued Edison for stealing some of his patents because, well, you know, Edison did that to everybody. Uh, <laughs> Granville won, and then Edison offered him a job. Uh, Granville refused and ended up starting his own business in upstate New York with his brother. And he was, he was an engineer and inventor. Uh, and I was very happy in my research to have found him and to bring this little-known, forgotten American scientist out into the world again. So, actually, really, I, I love his character. So I, I love all the characters because... Like most really, really good comics, the characters really pop out of the page at you. The, the book, the webcomic, is called Boston Metaphysical Society. 
the <clears throat> author, the person who knows exactly what it is going on, Madeline Holly Rosing. Madeline, thank you so much for finally making a thank you. connection with us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on board. This has been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. We'll have links to your Kickstarter and everything up on the webpage when the podcast goes up. Priyana. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure next week we're going to have somebody, but it's probably going to be Doug Jones. It's probably going to be Doug Jones, yeah. It may, it may be some Doug other people. Jones. The Doug Jones, not any Doug Jones. I think that's all we need for tonight. Um, so yeah. someone else can do the rest of it. No, we can't because it's you. Why do I have to do all of it? Why do I have to do everything? Because Sir Sarah's not here. Sir Sarah? Well, I don't even have the other thing in front of me. You want me to try to do it just from memory? <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> um, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, booksandboost.com, and comicarthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for all the best deals on dozens of your favorite artists. This week's outro, outro music. Outro. Um, who did our outro music? Was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. <laughs> I listen to this every week. That's true. It was by Lawrence Made Me Cry. So go check them out for more music from them. And this week's intro music was provided by Rob Watts. It would be really bad if I didn't remember that because it's been around a lot longer. And check out his stuff at robwattsonline.com. Dome. You did remember that. I, I know, I got most of it, so <laughs> I blanked on Lauren's made me cry. Sorry, Joe. She's never going to forgive you for that. She won't. I want to thank our guest, uh, Madeline Holly Rosing, for, for joining us and, and getting us some insight into a spectacular book, a spectacular comic. I want to thank the cast who showed up whenever they damn well pleased tonight, evidently. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Zombrian. Thank you, ladies. Um, okay. Back from the shadows into the yogurt and, and evidently not homecoming king or queen. Thank you, Java. I just want you all to like me. <laughs> this is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.